Well, I got to say, uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. I am really, really glad to take uh, televangelist Tim and put him away for a little bit, um, have you guys back in the room. Really, really excited about that. Uh, we're in part three of this series um, called Fresh Start, um, talking about some steps that we can take as individuals, as families, um, even as a church, a, a corporate body, um, to make a fresh start. It could be relationally, it could be um, you know, professionally, it could be financially, maybe even something in, in your spiritual life to, to, to restart or a fresh start in, in some area. And for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, um, either here in the room or those of you joining us online, I want to do a real quick review of where we've been, okay? Uh, the first step that we talked about, uh, the, first, the first part of this series was all about reflection. Um, we, we have a tendency to kind of rush into the future, not deal with anything in the past, let's just move on to the next thing, and not think about what happened last time, and, and, and we said, if you, if you don't reflect, if you don't go back and figure out what your piece of the past was, you'll never make peace with your past. And so you got to reflect, got to think, got to ponder, got uh, to, to take some time to figure out what your piece is from the past. That was part one. Second part, uh, we said that not only do you need to reflect, but you need to figure out what your foundation is. You have to have the right foundation. We talked about this story that many of us have heard since we were in Sunday school about the wise man and the foolish man, the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And it's, it's the most common error when it comes to making a fresh start. People will move from relationship to relationship, job to job, city to city, church to church, without thinking about, am I, am I building this next time on the same foundation as I built on last time? Because if you do that, your, your, your fresh start's doomed from the start. You've got to think through what your foundation is. And then today, this is where we're going today, um, we're going to talk about direction. Seems really, really obvious. But if you want a fresh start, you've got to make sure you're going in the right direction. And, and the, the, the truth is... <laughs> This was the problem last time, right? You zigged when you should have zagged. You went left instead of going right. You, you, just, you went down the wrong path. And, and you found yourself thinking what, what many of us think at different moments, different areas in, in our life. How in the world did I get here? I, 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 I never intended to end up in this place, but here I am. It's all about direction. Um, uh, Janet and I moved to Topeka. Um, we rented a big old 24-foot U-Haul, and uh, we needed a, to, to tow one of our cars, so we had a, a trailer on the back of the U-Haul, and then one of her parents was in a, one of the, our second car full of stuff behind that, and then her, other, her dad was in a car behind that, just one long, happy procession all the way to Topeka. And uh, we'd been to Topeka a couple times, um, but I was still a little bit unsure about where I was going to go. So I, I, I get off of 470, or I get off of 75 and get onto 470 and start coming. We were moving into what used to be the parsonage right here next to the church. And so all I had to do was get off on the Wanamaker exit, turn right on Huntoon, and we'd be here, right? And, and remember, this was before smartphones. This was before GPS. This, I, did, I, I was going strictly on memory. Okay, and I took the gauge exit, not the Wanamaker exit. The the what we will we will just graciously call the scenic route is what I took. Okay, 
And so here I am, again, here I am, I'm driving this U-Haul. I've never driven a U-Haul before, towing a car behind that with a car behind that with a Yukon behind that, driving around Washburn University, right? Driving down 12th Street. Have you ever driven down 12th Street in a U-Haul? It's not the best street, right? And that was my first introduction to the Phelps compound. That was a welcome to Topeka, right? It was so, so frustrating. It's funny now, but we were so frustrated. Jana was so, fr- it, was just, it, was just, it was just a mess. Here we are, okay, trying to make a fresh start. It's our first big move as a married couple. We're excited to start our life here in Topeka. My intention was to find the church. <laughs> My intention was to get here as quickly and smoothly as possible. But we went the wrong direction, right? Okay, I went the wrong direction. It's a microcosm of what we've all done at different points in our lives. We set out some, some kind of fresh start in some area of our life with the best of intentions. Like our, our intention is not to get lost, We want to get where we want to get to, but we went the wrong direction. And we find out what Andy Stanley says, it's direction, not intention, that determines destination. Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, spoke about this. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. And it doesn't have to be physical death. It could be death of a relationship, death of a dream, death of a career. Have the best intentions, seemed like it was the right thing, appeared to be good on the surface, the circumstances lined up perfectly. But you took the wrong way. You took the wrong path, and it led to the end of something. So how do you know? How, how do you find out? How do you gain clarity around what the right direction is? Because, come on, there is no GPS for life decisions, right? Like, there's no app that you can download to your phone and say, hey, I want to get here, and then it'll tell you everything you need to decide to do in order to get there. It, it just doesn't it work like that. And, and most of us, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think most of us want to make decisions that lead in the right direction, that lead us to end up in a place of health, in a place of flourishing, in a place of this, this abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But how? How do you make sure you're taking that path instead of a path that leads to ruin, instead of a path that leads to death and destruction. A part of that is obviously, um, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is, is following the model that Jesus left for us. As we talked about last week, it's building the foundation of our life on his authority, on what he says. That's the foundation But Jesus also models some things for us. And we're going to look at one of those things, one of the practices that helps us to make sure we're going in the right direction. He did this personally when he was looking for direction. He taught his disciples to do this. And by extension, I think he teaches us to do this. Okay, so if you have a Bible or a mobile device, I'd love for you to find Matthew chapter six. That's where we're gonna hang out the majority of our time here uh, today. The practice that Jesus models about for, and teaches about in Matthew chapter six is also Luke records this. So while you're finding Matthew chapter six, I'm gonna read kind of the backstory of what's going on here um, from Luke. This is Luke 11.1. One. It says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, not abnormal for Jesus. He prayed often, but this time when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, 
Lord, teach us to pray. (laughs) Which is so interesting to me because I don't hear many people asking to be taught to pray. I, I can't think of anybody who's ever asked me to teach them to pray. Have you ever asked somebody to teach you to pray? I mean, have you ever learned to pray? And if not, how do you know you're doing it right? And even when I say that, you go, there's a right way? There's a right way and a wrong way? Like, is there a prayer that works and prayer that doesn't work? Well, his disciples grew up learning to pray. They were good Jews. They had certain prayers for certain moments, for certain situations. But, but here is one of these, these really good Jewish boys sees something about the way Jesus prayed. And they went, maybe there's more to prayer than I realize. Have you ever, um, ever been around somebody who prayed differently? Almost like they have a different connection or a better connection with God. I've experienced that a couple times in my life. And I walk away going, I I think I might be doing it wrong. Or at the very least, they know something that I don't. They're they're tapped into something that I don't. I think that might be kind of what's happening here. And I'll just say this as an observation. If we're honest, like if you're honest with yourself, you don't have to be honest with anybody else, but at least be honest with yourself. Not all prayer really works. And you may be really bothered by that, disagree with that. Can you say that in church? That's fine. But is there a better way to pray? And, and, and if there's not, why did Jesus teach them to pray? Even though they knew how to pray. Why did he answer the question? If it's just talking to God and asking him to fix stuff and bless us and help us and protect us and thank you for this food, amen, it, it doesn't make any sense why Jesus taught them to pray. But maybe, maybe there's prayer that works and prayer that doesn't work. And and no matter how much that statement bothers you, if you're really honest with yourself, you've prayed before and walked away going, nothing's changed. That didn't change me. That didn't change God. It didn't impact God. didn't impact anybody else. Why in the world did I just do that? In fact, some of you have given up on prayer completely because it hasn't worked Hasn't worked how you thought. Hasn't worked how you think it's supposed to work. Hasn't worked in a long time. Maybe that's what Jesus' disciple was experiencing. He'd been praying for years, saw how Jesus prayed and thought, I want to learn how to do that. And so Jesus says, let's go. Let's do this. And he launches in to to, to what not to do first before he gets to how to pray. This is the pregame, right? Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. In other words, don't pray for an audience. Don't pray so you can show everybody how spiritual you are. Because if you do, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Wait a minute. There's rewards involved in prayer? Jesus says, yeah. But if the only reason you pray is to be seen by others and show them how spiritual you are, to impress them, that's as much of a reward as you're going to get. Doesn't go past that. Doesn't go beyond that. Instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will 
rewards you. This is the kind of prayer that God rewards. You don't do it for a reward, but if you pray in secret, your Father, who is unseen, will see what you are doing, and he rewards that kind of prayer. So there's the first not. Here's the second. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Pagans, um, they don't believe the same thing that Jews believe. They did whatever they thought they needed to do to get the God's attention, the lowercase g gods. So they're going to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. They're chanting, trying to, trying to manipulate their gods, trying to twist their gods' arms. And Jesus says, okay, don't pray to impress other people and don't pray to try and manipulate God. I'm going to come back to that here in a second. He says, do not be like them for pause. Many of you know what comes after this, but I want to pause here. This is, this is important because it reveals why hypocrites and pagans prayed the way they prayed. They prayed the way they prayed because there was something they didn't know. The hypocrites prayed to impress people. The pagans prayed to try and manipulate their gods. But Jesus says, I don't want you praying like that because your father knows. <laughs> your father knows what you need before you ask him. What would change in your life if you honestly believed that? How would that change how you pray? If you honestly believe, you know what? My father knows what I need. Before you even knew you were going to have to pray about that, he knew about it. <laughs> Before you even got into the circumstance that led you down the road to destruction, he knew that you were going to pray about it. He knows what you need before you ask. And the honest question, if we're being honest, is, okay, why should I pray then? If he already knows, why pray? If, if, if prayer is just informing God of something he already knows, there's no reason to pray, right? And Jesus says, well, if you're praying to impress other people, if you're praying to try and manipulate God, that's true. But maybe there's something about prayer you didn't know. That's your approach to prayer. You're doing it wrong. And I don't think Jesus is being critical or judgmental here. I just think he's pointing them to a better way to pray. So here's the better way. We know of it as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Once you're by yourself before your Father in heaven that sees you, you're not praying to impress others. You're not praying to manipulate God. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want to jump past this because we think this is just like the introductory, this is the small talk part of prayer. We've got to pause here because there's two massive things in tension here, right? The first thing is a massive, holy, completely different set-apart God that we are not worthy to approach. Even his name is holy. Hallowed be your name. Number two, the thing that's intention, this massive, holy, completely different God invites you to refer to him 
as daddy. There's only two people on the face of this planet that can call me that. And you better believe, I like y'all, but if they call me daddy, they have my undivided attention. Because 13-year-olds and 16-year-olds don't call their dad daddy a whole lot. But when they do, they've got my attention. God is both really, really, really far away and really, really, really close. That's what Jesus is teaching here, that when we approach God, we need to recognize who we're approaching. We need to recognize how holy and hallowed and set apart he is. But we also recognize at the same time, he's invited you to call him Father, Abba, Daddy. Don't miss this. You're not pulling him down to your level. He's pulling you up to his. Back in uh, the year 2000, you guys remember how easy life was back in 2000? It was a good year, right? Like Y2K was the only thing we had to worry about, and that didn't even be an empathy, right? Anyway, back in 2000, I was working for Oklahoma Wesleyan University, uh, recruiting students, high school students to come to college there, uh, traveling throughout the, the Western United States. And I just so happened to be in St. Louis, <clears throat> at the same time that George W. Bush was holding a campaign rally there. He was running for president. I'd never been to a campaign rally, political rally in my life, but the youth pastor I was connecting with, um, I think he worked for a radio station or something, so he got floor passes to this political rally. So like, okay, let's, let's go. And so, um, you know, we show up to the, to the rally. There's multiple checkpoints that you have to go through in order to get down to the floor because we had floor-level passes. So I was a big shot, floor-level pass, like every time, every checkpoint, you know, get to flash this badge like I was something hot. But um, we eventually, eventually get to the floor level. The rally starts and like we're right next to the stage. There's like this catwalk that goes all the way to the stage and, and, and George Bush can't, comes in, he walks down the, the stairs and he walks down this catwalk to the stage and we're right next to the stage. You know, everybody's got their hand up hoping that he'll, you know, shake your hand or touch your hand or whatever. He actually grabbed my hand and shaked it for, shook it for a second. It's like, wow, you know, that's like, the, that's my claim to fame. That's all I got, <laughs> right? But I just want you to imagine Imagine for a second, if I held on to his hand and said, uh, Mr. Bush, I got a couple policy ideas I'd like to run by you for a second. First of all, I would immediately be tased by the Secret Service, right? And secondly, how foolish of me to think that he wants to stoop down and ask about my policy ideas, This is what Jesus is teaching. This is the posture Jesus teaches us to, to approach God with. Not, hey, I need something from you. Just, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad I was invited and I was given access to you. I think that's the first part of how Jesus teaches us to pray. Remember who you're addressing and why you have access. You've been granted access to approach the God whose name is even holy. But he's invited you to approach him as your father in heaven. And then within that context, here's what should naturally follow. When you recognize who you're addressing and when you recognize why you have access to him. Here's the next part. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Here's, here's two more giant things in tension. There's the tension that God has a kingdom and a will, and so do you. God has a kingdom, except his kingdom's an uppercase K. Yours is a lowercase K. And every time we're moved to prayer, especially when it's out of desperation, especially when something's not working, it, you, you, you've got a will, you've got an agenda, you've got a plan, and Jesus says, what's best for you because of who you've been given access to? Because of who you're approaching, what's best for you before you even ask for anything is to surrender your will, surrender your agenda, surrender your plan to his. That your will can wait. Your agenda can take a maybe. Your kingdom can take a hike. <laughs> because your will, your agenda, your kingdom is not what's best. So, I'm going to prod here for a second because I think what Jesus teaches here is in direct opposition to some of the things, some of the attitudes, some of the postures happening in our world right now. And, and I, I'm going to say this with as much grace and as much truth as I can muster because as Kevin Meyer says, I am not your politician, I'm your pastor. And so I want to speak into something here because I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there are too many followers of Jesus that care more about a political agenda than God's agenda. I'm concerned some are more interested in the kingdom of America than the kingdom of God. Let that sink in. I'm concerned some of us sing, I will look up for there is none above you on Sunday. And then live Monday through Saturday as you're the one who's above. I'm concerned that there are too many followers of Jesus that forget that your citizenship first and foremost is the kingdom, not earth. And if that's how you live, how exactly are you praying? This is the second thing that Jesus teaches in teaching us how to pray. After remembering who we're addressing and why we have access to him, we choose to surrender our will, not impose it. We choose. It's a choice to surrender your will, not impose this. Instead of convincing God what we really think needs to happen politically, what needs to happen relationally, what needs to happen wherever. We, we're trying to get him on board with what you want to see happen. Jesus says, no, you surrender all of that to God's will, God's plan, God's agenda. May heaven's values, where everything is perfect, where everything, God has everything exactly how he wants it. May your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Here, on earth, as it is in heaven. So we remember, we surrender, and then we get to the part we all like, the part where we get to ask God for stuff. But Jesus takes it in a different direction. He says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one. Yes, Jesus did teach us to ask God, to approach him and ask him more than requests, more than wants. He teaches us to ask for things that remind us of our dependence on him. He asks to, 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 to things like declare your dependence upon his provision, his pardon, his protection. Because th- those are all three things that only God can provide, right? He, he's the one who provides. He's the one who pardons. And notice, he doesn't just say, talk about God pardoning you of your sin, but also you pardoning others of theirs. And then protection from the evil one. Because whether you know it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you have the potential to participate with the evil one. And so Jesus teaches us, instead of just praying against or praying for the evil that's out there, do that. But he also talks about the evil in here. If you're going to ask God for stuff, ask him to provide you, provide for you, pardon you, and protect you as a reminder that you're completely dependent on him. I quote him often, partly because I think he was just brilliant, but he has a way of saying things that I, I can identify with. Um, C.S. Lewis was once asked, why do you pray? And here's what he said. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. And maybe, I don't know, what if that's the point of prayer? Not to change God but to change you, to change me, to change us. So again, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he doesn't give them a word-for-word prayer to recite over and over and over again. We know that because he said earlier, don't pray like the the pagans who babble on and on and on. So he gives us a posture. He gives us an attitude. He gives us maybe an outline for how to pray. And it starts by remembering his greatness. We remember how great he is. Remember why you have access. Because of Jesus, our great high priest. That is why you have access. Remember how extraordinary it is that he's invited you to approach him as daddy. You remember his greatness and then you surrender your will. To say, based on how great you are, yeah, absolutely I have desires. Absolutely I have an agenda. But I'm going to surrender all of that to you. I want heaven's values to rule in my life, in my family, and in our world, but start with my world. Start with me. I surrender your will. And then you declare your dependence. You recognize what C.S. Lewis recognized. I can't help myself. <laughs> I'm helpless. I, 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 I'm using this moment of prayer. I'm using this practice. I'm using this discipline as a declaration of my dependence on you for all of these things. And so if you're looking for direction, pray like this. Remember, surrender, declare. If you're looking for clarity in some area of your life, pray like this. Remember, surrender, declare. If you're at a crossroads, relationally, occupationally, financially, a business, a career, you're not sure what to do, get alone with your father day after day after day after day and pray like this. Remember, surrender, declare. If you're really frustrated, hear me, church. If you're really frustrated, if you're really angry with what's going on in our country, pray like this. Remember, surrender, 
declare. That's the kind of prayer that works. Because it's not about directing God. It's about seeking his direction. It's not about changing God or changing God's mind. It's about being changed by God and him changing our mind. It's the kind of prayer that works because it changes our will. It changes our world because ultimately it changes us, not God. And so... Here's how we're going to end. I, I just think it would be a gigantic missed opportunity to spend an entire morning talking about prayer and then not actually praying. So we're going to pray. The Chiefs don't play till 2. We've got plenty of time. That doesn't mean we're going to pray until 2. But we're going to spend some time in prayer. Right? Um, when I came into the office this week to, to start message prep, Monday's my off day, so I came in. Tuesday morning, I actually had an email, and and. I, I, don't, I can't sit here and say with 100% you know, authenticity that this was a God thing, but it kind of feels like a God thing. Um, got an email from somebody in our church that um, was watching last week's service, and I'm just going to read what they said with their permission. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just enough for you to get the gist. She was talking about last week's service, okay? So she's watching that, and here's what she said. So I listened to Mark speak yesterday morning during worship. He talked about God healing our nation. And an idea popped in my head. The whole sermon after, as you talked about being a doer of the word, I felt it reinforced, and the idea will not leave me alone since. This is really out of character, but I feel compelled for our church to do something. A country needs that healing. If those causing political unrest can organize, why can't we as Christ followers organize also? So what about putting together a prayer time for the healing of our nation? It doesn't have to be overly involved. It doesn't have to be even formally organized. Just the body of Christ praying, enacting the power of corporate prayer for healing. So that's what we're going to do. It's not going to be organized. It's not gonna, this is not a political statement. I'm not taking sides. This is me asking you to practice what you preach. This is me looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I need to practice what I preach. It's, it's not really going to be organized. I'm going I'm to prompt you in any specific way other than praying for our country, praying for its leaders. You can sit in your seat, you can stand. Maybe you want to make your chair an altar and kneel. That's perfectly fine. But we're just going to spend some time in prayer. And then I'll wrap it up here in a couple minutes. But, but I am going to ask you to pay attention to Jesus' words, to pay attention how he taught us to pray, to start, to begin by remembering his greatness then surrendering your will, and then declaring not your independence. We really like that as Americans. But not to declare your independence, but to declare your dependence. You remember, you surrender, you declare. You remember, you surrender, you declare. So here we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize who you are. And in recognizing who you are, we recognize who we are. We recognize we've been made in your image. We are image bearers. And sin has scarred that image 
Sin has scarred our world. And we just position ourselves correctly. We want to be people, at least I want to be somebody who positions myself correctly in relation to you. Thank you for the access you've given to us through your son, Jesus. Father, I surrender my will, my plan, my agenda, because you know I've got one in so many different areas, so many different things. And it's not easy. I, I don't do it well. But would you help us to be people who surrender to your will, to your way, that we act as agents, as ambassadors of your kingdom to bring bits and pieces of your kingdom to this earth, wherever we find ourselves, in the different environments that you've placed us. God, we, we need you to provide. <laughs> we need grace. <laughs> we, we need pardon. We need to, to see and to recognize that it's actually from your hand that we receive all we have. The things in our hands are from yours. That as difficult as it is, it's much easier to see the evil in other people than it is in us. But would you help us, protect us from the evil one? God, so many other things. So, and just this room alone, just those who are watching online, just in our church alone, so many things that we need you to provide for. But we take a moment and we just declare our dependence on you. Would you help us to be men and women that live as dependent on you? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to to read it, to, to ingest it, to, to let it wash over us. As Mark has already prayed earlier, would you help us to leave this place and be doers of it? For your kingdom, for your glory, for your will and your agenda. And we ask all of this, we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people say.